Good morning. Michelle, thank you so much for choosing songs that reflect God's word so well. You know, worship is just that, isn't it? It's our privilege as God's children to uh, recognize who he is and who we are in our relationship with him and to allow God's Holy Spirit to use worship songs to prepare our hearts, to tenderize our hearts, to uh, help us to listen more clearly to God's voice. We're in the book of Jonah. Remember, this is a book not about a man, not about a great fish, but about a great God and his relentless love toward us. We learned a couple of weeks ago that God speaks. As he spoke to Jonah, God also speaks to you and to me, his children. He desires to speak into our lives and to lead us and guide us. Last week, we learned that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. God has a broken heart for cities. He wants the people of those cities to turn from where they were to where he wants them to be. Jonah didn't agree with God's choice. And Jonah decided to run from the presence of God. And as we learn in this story, in this account of Jonah, running from God is futile at the very best. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him, said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he would told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, The men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish. 
for this man's life. Do not charge his charge us with his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Pray with me for a minute. Father, as we consider Jonah, his relationship to you, and Lord, your relentless pursuit of him, I pray, God, we would hear not just the words, but Lord, your Holy Spirit would use those words and touch our hearts, that wherever we are in our relationship with you, we would really sense your love for us, your leading. We would see in our lives your hand, and we would trust you more. Lord, please speak to us. We pray this in in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Earlier we read a portion of the poem, The Hound of Heaven, while it was written centuries after Jonah. I can imagine that those were some of the feelings and the thoughts that he must have thought and felt. He had been a, a successful prophet of God in Israel. Now God had another assignment for him. He said, go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Think about Noah's response. What was going on in his heart and his mind. Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel. Nineveh, the capital, full of of all of the worship of false gods, all the immorality, all the hostility. Enemies of Israel and enemies of God. And God said, I want you to go preach to them. Later in the story, we hear Jonah complaining to God after Nineveh had repented and turned to the Lord. To put it in a paraphrase, Noah, excuse me, Jonah says to God, See, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I didn't want to come here. They don't deserve your grace and your mercy. That was Jonah's attitude. From the very beginning of this adventure. Although I would doubt he'd call it an adventure. So Jonah rebelled and he ran and tried to run away from God. But like the hound of heaven, God relentlessly pursued Jonah. Verse 4 said, God sent a great wind out onto the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to break up. This was no ordinary storm. It was a great wind, and and actually the word tempest has at its root the the concept of a whirlwind. I imagine this was a hurricane that was going on. And as we read through that passage, what did you see two or three times? And the tempest increased mightily, and they tried some other remedy. And the tempest continued to increase mightily. They tried to row back to shore, and the tempest increased even more. This was no ordinary storm. This was a God-sent storm. And he was going to use it to accomplish his purposes. It was a powerful storm. So let me ask you a question. Why did God pursue Jonah? It's a pertinent question because there are times when in our lives we feel like we're in that kind of a storm. It may not be a literal hurricane, But it feels like a hurricane to us. 
Maybe, just maybe, God is using that storm in your life for his purpose to do something in you. God did not pursue Jonah because he wanted to get Jonah for disobeying him. It was not, it was not punishment, but rather a pursuit. God wanted, and his plan was, to give Jonah a second chance. The means he chose to use was a great wind and a powerful storm. God's goal for Jonah, I keep saying Noah, I'm sorry. They both have A-H at the end. (laughs) We're talking about Jonah. God wanted to give Jonah a second chance. His goal was not destruction, but reconciliation. His purpose was not punitive, but redemptive. His motive was not anger, but love. Now think about that for a second. Do you think Jonah felt God's love in that storm? I don't think so. But God loved Jonah too much to allow Jonah to go to Tarshish, where he was headed. God had work to do in Jonah And through him in Nineveh. So the the, the context here is not God coming down on Jonah, but rather trying to get Jonah's attention. And to break his will, not his spirit. God pursued Jonah with disciplined love. Think about the word discipline. When you think about discipline, what... Synonyms or what words come to your mind? Do you think about pain? If you grew up in my generation, you think about a paddle on your rear end. How many had that picture, right? <laughs> yeah. I noticed not too many 20-somethings raised their hand. <clears throat> now instead of a paddle, it's time out. If that. Discipline is not to be equated with punishment, although sometimes it involves punishment. Oftentimes it involves pain. Discipline, the the Greek word, paideia, has the the idea of child raising. It's the idea of training a child in the way he should go. Discipline is God's process of graciously, yet definitely, conforming us to the image of his son. It's a lifelong process. I want to read a a passage to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which you've all become become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. 
Shall we much not more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days disciplined us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. There's God's goal in discipline. Now no discipline seems to be joyful. Amen. For the present. But painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So that we have God's motive, God's plan, God's purpose at the end. His, his motive is love. His process, his purpose is to make us more like his son Jesus. A famous, another famous writer from the uh, early times, actually from the 1600s. You've probably heard this name, John Bunyan. Not to be confused with Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan, famous pastor, Christian pastor, who was imprisoned because of his faith, while in prison wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. In it, a young man named Christian leaves his family, escapes the city of destruction, and journeys toward that celestial city. But on his journey, Christian faces a host of temptations and trials. God faithfully restores him each time. And in the process, teaches him valuable lessons. And finally leads him home to heaven. It's like that with you and me. Our journey to the celestial heaven isn't an easy one. I've, I've used this illustration before, but it is such a... It speaks to my heart, so maybe it will speak to yours. Think if you were to graph your journey from the time you received Christ as your Savior, your sins were forgiven, you experienced his mercy and his grace, and you were on that road to heaven, to the celestial city. What would the graph look like, starting here and working towards here? Would it be like that? If so... Boy, I want whatever you've got. Mine is not like that. Mine goes like this. I'm assured through hope, knowing what Jesus did for me, that I'm going to end up here. But if you look at the graph of my life as a Christian, there are ups and downs, plateaus, but the incline, if you, gra- if you drew a straight line across the peaks and across the valleys, they would all be moving upward. If you're to look at a Christian at any point in time and we're to look at his graph or her graph and just focus in with a magnifying glass on one portion, if you happen to be looking at the down part, and someone said, is that, a, is that a believer? He said, look at, no way is that person a Christian. Or to look at, <clears throat> hit that, that graph again and find a plateau. And you were to ask, is that person a Christian? Well, yeah, but he's not really showing much fruit. I really can't tell. And then if you catch me in my up points, you say, yeah, he's on fire for the Lord. 
The point is this. Each of us in our journey from point A to point B are going to have it. Each of us is going to have at different points in our life ups and downs where we're not maybe not acting like a Christian, where we might be with Jonah trying to run from what God has for us. Or maybe like Jonah, we're asleep in the ship and just not paying any attention to God, oblivious to the storms where God's trying to get off our attention. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. You obviously have a love for the Lord or you wouldn't be here today. But I don't know what's going on in each of your individual journeys. Guess who does know? That's an easy, easy answer. No trick question. God. God knows where you are. He knew where Jonah was. He woke Jonah up. And he dealt with Jonah to try to get Jonah's attention to refocus his love and his ministry. So from that passage... Five quick truths about discipline. God, according to Hebrews chapter 12, says God disciplines all believers. If you are a believer, you're a child of God, God will use discipline in his process of making you into whom he wants you to be. God disciplines us because he loves us. There's his motive. Here's a hard one. If there's no discipline... There's no relationship. That's what he says. If you're without discipline, you're not sons. Because God is continually going to be working in your life as his child to raise you up into whom he wants you to be. We can trust God to discipline us rightly. He says you've had human fathers who disciplined according to the best of their ability and their knowledge. But God does it right. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's in your heart when your earthly father may not be able to read you well. God does. Like a Thomason English muffin, you've got nooks and crannies in your heart. God gets down into those nooks and crannies. We can trust God to discipline us rightly. God's discipline then produces right living. He builds the image of Christ into us. So when we look at Jonah, we see some of the lessons he learned as God used discipline in his pursuit of the wayward prophet. First lesson, running is a waste of time. You'll see the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That old way. <laughs> it's a kind of a classic now. Remember the scene where Butch and Sundance are running away from this posse. And they use all the tricks that they know to evade the pursuit. And every time he looks back, he says, Who are those guys? <laughs> Remember that? That's my favorite part of the whole movie. Because it reminds me of God. I can try to run and dodge and hide. And I look behind me and there's no escaping God. No escaping him. You Look at Psalm 139. A psalm that so eloquently describes 
that situation. Starting in verse 1, he says, Oh Lord, you've searched me, you've known me. You know my sitting down, you know my rising up. You understand my thought from afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have indeed hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, sound like Jonah? Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike together. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. Where can you go? Where God is not there. You cannot escape the presence of God. You cannot exhaust the love of God. That was a lesson that Jonah was learning. He also learned that running has consequences. Although Jonah acted like there would be no consequence. He went to the seaport. He found a boat going to Tarshish, the farthest point uh, west away from going east to Nineveh. He bought the ticket. He paid the fare. And what did he do when he got on board? Went down into the hold, found a place, curled up, and went to sleep. Jonah thought he could get away from God, but running has consequences. Obeying God is not optional. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Jonah acted like there would be no consequences. He says, I'm I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Not only is running a waste of time or having consequences, running affects other people. Verse 5 says, Then the sailors became afraid, and their fear began to grow rapidly. The sailors had done nothing wrong. They were collateral damage, as it were. Their lives were threatened because of Jonah's decision. Decisions that we make have consequences on those around us. Your testimony, whatever it is at any point in time, is going to affect those who are watching you. And it's either going to have a positive or a negative effect. We don't live in a vacuum. Running also hardens your heart towards God. Think about that. You start to build calluses on your heart. Here's the evidence in Jonah's life. Think about the way God speaks to Jonah to try and get his attention. Jonah had uh, was a prophet 
but had lost his ear toward God's voice. So God had to speak not only through a word, but through the wind and through the storm to get Jonah's attention. Think about the way Jonah doesn't speak to God. In verses 4 through 6, the only one on a boat who doesn't speak to God is Jonah, the one who knows who God is. He'd rather be thrown overboard than speak to God. You don't see God, Jonah praying until he's in the fish. His heart was calloused. When you run from God, you do things that you never thought you'd do. I find that when my heart is becoming calloused towards God, the first thing to go in my spiritual life is my morning quiet time with him. A time when I listen to him and have a conversation with him. When I'm, I'm not thinking about God, that's the first thing that goes. And when that goes, that even leads me farther down the path I'm on, away from God. Think about the way Jonah sees people. He didn't care. Didn't care about the sailors at first. Didn't care about the people of Nineveh. Because his heart was growing hard towards God as he rebelled. We also learn, and Jonah learned, that God is at work even when I'm on the run. What did, what did God do in the midst of Jonah's hard-heartedness and rebellion? What was the reaction of the sailors after Jonah had explained who he was, what he was doing, and what was going on? They had been praying to their gods, little g. What did they do after Jonah told them what was going on? Their hearts turned toward God, big g. The God of Jonah, the God of the Hebrews. God was working through the storm and through Jonah's rebellion to bring about results in some hardened sailors' hearts. And Jonah's heart began to soften. As he was confronted by the sailors, he saw the storm, he realized what God was doing. And his heart started to soften. We learn that God was more committed to Jonah than Jonah was to God. God's love and his pursuit of us because of his love is relentless. What did Jesus do, like our song said, when he talked about being a shepherd with a flock of a hundred sheep and he realizes one is gone? What does he do? He leaves the 99 and goes after and pursues the one. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm the one and I'm lost. You ever feel that way? Like you're in over your head. You don't know what side is up. You don't know what's going on. And God is pursuing you like the hound of heaven. His Holy Spirit never gives up on you because his Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer. And the Holy Spirit is going to keep prodding you and pricking your conscience and turning you back onto the road on which you should walk. God is committed to us. And finally, grace in this process 
uses you even when you don't think you're useful. You look at Jonah chapter 1 there in verses 13 through 16. You know, the sailors were desperate. They didn't want to do anything to Jonah. Finally, Jonah says, it's, it's no use. I'm the cause of this. Somehow God had told Jonah that once Jonah's off the ship, the storm's going to stop. Once Jonah has stopped his running, once Jonah has given up everything, even his own life, to the Lord, things would be made right. God's presence overshadowed Jonah's disobedience. Even if we don't feel like we're useful, like how, God, how can you use me? Look what I did. I'm a, I'm a hard case. I'm, I'm useless. God, how can you ever use me? Even when you feel that way, when God is made known, lives are changed. When God chose to reveal the truth to these sailors, their hearts appear to have been changed. And they recognized Jehovah God as the all-powerful one, the one who controlled all things. There's a takeaway in this today. Again, I don't have any clue where each of you is with the Lord right now in your walk with him. Whether you're actively listening to him, whether your ears are so full of spiritual wax that you can't hear his word, whether he's been working in you and wants you to do something, he has a task or a ministry for you, and you're saying, no, I, that's not what I want to do. I want to go this way. Or are you running with God? And you're in that place where you're listening actively and you're seeking to be used by God. Are you running with God? Are you running toward God? Maybe you don't know him as, as your heavenly father. Maybe you have never come to the point where you have been broken spiritually to the point where you realize that you have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Maybe God is relentlessly pursuing you to bring you into his family. Or are you running from God? Are you just saying, no? And you're trying to hide in the bottom of the ship and go to sleep and and just forget everything and say, no, I don't want any part of it. It's too hard. What are you going to do about it? Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, for we know that all things work together, even storms, for good to those who love God, who are called, like Jonah, according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, planned ahead, that we would become conformed to the image of his Son. The storms in your life are not evidence of God's disapproval or anger. How could God do this to me? The storms in your life 
are God pursuing you, chipping off the rough edges and making you look more like his son. I don't know where the rough edges in your life are today. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a hard heart and unforgiveness. Maybe it's, um, I don't know what it is. But you know whether you're willing to admit it or not. And for sure, God knows. And those places in our hearts that are the rough edges that don't look like Jesus, God uses a hammer and chisel. Sometimes he uses sandpaper. I like that better. But he uses those things, all things, to make you more like Jesus. So my prayer for myself, my prayer for you this morning, is that you would look deep in your hearts and see where you are in relationship to God's pursuit and his refining you. And and give it to God. Trusting him. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the big fish. And, and what happened to Jonah when he was inside that fish and his brokenness that became a blessing? Right now, we need to be praying and ask God and be willing to be broken where we need to be broken so God can put us back together the way he wants to. We're going to sing a song and it glorifies God as our great God. Would you stand with me as we worship him together?